We're in the seventh part of, of a sermon series uh, on rediscovering joy through the book of Philippians. And uh, we're in the middle of the second chapter of the book. The Apostle Paul, who is one of, um, one of the most faithful disciples of Jesus, he wrote this book uh, to the church at uh, Philippi, which was a Roman colony. And he wrote this, encouraging them to be joyful even through persecution. And uh, I initially picked uh, verses 12 to 30 uh, for the sermon from the second chapter. But as I spent time preparing, uh, I, I realized that verses 12 and 13 uh, in the passage we're looking at today uh, is going to need a full sermon in itself. So all we're going to be doing today is look at two verses, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 uh, and 13. It's going to come up for us uh, on the screen. Allow me to read this out for us. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the word of the Lord. Allow me to pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word, which, which you intended to come alive in our midst through the preaching of your word in your church. And as we faithfully continue, Lord, to live according to your plan, would you be true to your word and minister to every one of us? In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Uh, the broad theme of the two verses we looked at is growth. Your spiritual growth and mine. The phrases work out your salvation and God working in us all points to how we have to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. And, and, and so please keep this theme of growing in Christ in mind as we dive into the sermon. Uh, these two small and simple verses throw Three paradoxes at us. But each of these three paradoxes uh, is a stairway that helps us grow in Christ. And so here are the three paradoxes this passage is throwing at us. First, are we to experience joy and rejoicing in our salvation or as this verse says, should we experience fear and trembling? This verse said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's the first paradox. Second, is God working for our growth? Because it, or should we be working for our growth? The passage says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you to will and to work. So who is, who is working? Is it God or us? And finally, how do we find joy and hope in growing as a disciple of Christ? 
So three things we're going to be looking at. First, uh, should we respond with joy and rejoicing or should we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Which is fear and trembling, which is it? Is it God who's working for us or should we work? And how do we find joy and hope in growing as a disciple of Christ? Those are three things we're going to be looking at this morning. Let's start with the first paradox. This passage urges us to consider. Are we to experience joy and rejoicing in our salvation? Or should we experience fear and trembling? Look at verse 12, the passage that we just read. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now also, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, this strikes an odd note, fear and trembling. Because through the series, from the very first sermon, and we're in the seventh sermon now, we have seen how the gospel produces joy in our heart. We have seen how Christ produces joy. But here in this verse, we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So which is it? Which of the two is it? All through the Bible, Joy is always the predominant emotion associated with salvation. The Psalms are full of songs sung by people rejoicing in their salvation. The Gospels tell us how angels rejoice in heaven every time anyone is saved by receiving faith in Jesus. The episodes, like the one Philippians, the episodes talk about how Jesus fills her heart with inexpressible joy. But this verse is calling us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So are we to experience joy in our salvation? Or are we to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? And how do we reconcile the overall message of joy and rejoicing in the book of Philippians with the call of the specific verse to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's the first paradox. I'm going to try and, and solve this paradox as well. May I be honest with us here? Uh, may, may I just call a spade a spade and, and speak the, the, the raw and an honest truth right now. The question or the paradox we are wrestling with is actually irrelevant because the truth is most of us, myself first, most of us, most of the time, we live neither with joy and rejoicing in Christ nor with fear and trembling in Christ. The truth of our practical, functional, everyday living is that we are neither joyful in the grace of Christ that we sh- as we ought to be, nor are we fearful of his just and righteous judgment. Isn't this true? Am I, am I, am I, not, am I not right here? Let's take a minute to, to look back at our lives this past week. 
how many moments did you and I, how many moments did we experience great joy, great gratitude, great thankfulness for what Christ Jesus has done for us? And how many times did we experience fear and trembling at the justice and and the righteousness and the holiness of God? How, how, How many times did we come to a place where we stood in awe and trembling in his holy presence? Isn't it true that all of us, myself first, uh, we were too busy, as Ashish shared in the call to worship. Isn't it true that we were, we were too busy, too preoccupied, and too self-absorbed to experience either of these two strong emotions toward God? Or to put it bluntly, aren't we all mostly just plain indifferent to Christ most of the time. Let let me press in a little bit more here. You know, some of us may have come to New City from from legalistic churches where the only emotion allowed towards God was fear and trembling. And, And those churches used fear and commands and laws to scare and force us into obedience. Or perhaps it was not a church, but but perhaps it was our parents who, who kind of took a, a slightly more uh, legalistic and uh, a fearful um, um, contours to our in defining in helping us grow in our relationship with with God. And and then we came to New City, and then we were overjoyed with grace and freedom that we found in Jesus and the gospel. But here's my question. Where is our joy in Christ? Have we indeed been rejoicing in the grace and the freedom that we have come to know in Christ Jesus? Sure, some some legalistic churches were, were wrong in their fear and trembling. But haven't we failed too in our lack of joy? And so if we are experiencing neither joy and rejoicing, nor fear and trembling towards Christ, it is a very dangerous place to be in. Do you know what it means? If we are experiencing neither joy or and rejoicing in Christ, nor fear and trembling, Do you know what that means? It means that functionally, Jesus is no longer our God. If you're not experiencing either joy or fear, it means that something else has functionally become our God, taking away the joy and the reverential awe and trembling that belongs only to Christ Jesus. So this morning, as I'm asking myself this, I would really want to encourage every one of us to ask this one question. Towards what 
Are you experiencing joy and rejoicing of fear and trembling? Towards what are you experiencing joy and rejoicing and fear and trembling? And I hope we're able to see the gravity of what I'm suggesting here. Indifference to Christ can be a very dangerous place to live in. Which is why before I moved into solving this first paradox, I wanted to spend a moment to help us see the tension we should be experiencing in this paradox. And and our hope and our prayers is is that some of us are, are finding ourselves in this place of indifference this, this, this sermon and this passage from God's word is, is his grace to us, drawing us, not condemning us, but drawing us to worship. So all that said, let's get around to answering the question. So, so which is it? Should our salvation evoke fear and trembling or should it evoke joy and rejoicing? It's a simple answer, really. And and how well we are able to grasp and live out the answer is a good reflection of how we are growing as disciples of Christ. And so here is, is, is the answer. Real joy and rejoicing in Christ is impossible without deep fear and trembling. Real joy and rejoicing in Christ is impossible without deep fear and trembling trembling if we do not experience fear and trembling we will never be able to understand the joy and rejoicing of salvation let me let me explain this why do we feel any and every joy in christ what's the reason for what's the reason what's the source of every joy we experience in christ we feel joy in Christ because he died bearing the punishment for our sins. We feel joy in Christ because Christ was punished to death on the cross, as we saw last week in the earlier portion of Philippians chapter 2. Even death on a cross for our sins. We are grateful, we are joyful because Christ was punished. In our place. So you see, if we never had any fear of punishment, we can never experience any joy in forgiveness. If we do not know a holy God who is full of just and righteous wrath, that is due for every sin of yours and mine, if we do not know that holy God, a gracious Christ who came to give, lay down his life for us, a gracious Christ who came to take the punishment that is due on us upon himself, brings us no joy. Why would we appreciate forgiveness? Why would we be overjoyed in forgiveness if there was no punishment for sin in the first place? Why would we be, why would we be overjoyed by the sacrifice of Christ if there was no holy God to hold us accountable for our sins and failures. And so if there is no hell and no eternal punishment for the unrighteous, 
Why would we rejoice that Jesus took the punishment upon himself and paid the price fully so we could have eternal life with Christ? So our joy and our rejoicing in salvation must begin from a place of fear and trembling before a holy God. But the beauty of the gospel is that we don't need to remain in this place of fear. We must begin from there, but we don't have to remain there. And so the answer, the answer to the paradox is this. We just cannot experience any joy and rejoicing of a gracious God unless we begin by starting at a point of fear and trembling before a holy God. And I hope that we're able to see the two different errors here. To live only in fear and trembling means we're missing out on the joy and freedom our salvation in Christ brings. Similarly, joy, just just superficial joy, without awareness of how much every sin angers God, is no joy at all. Two different errors. We must begin in a place of fear and trembling, but we can move on to joy and rejoicing in what Christ Jesus has done for us. So that's the first paradox that we want to look at. The second paradox from this passage that, that I like to help us see and resolve is this. Is God, is God working for our growth or should we be working for our growth? Let's, let's go back to the words that we began with. Therefore, my beloved, therefore, and we'll come to that word therefore in just a little bit. As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation. So that's a command. We, we, being, we are being given something to do. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For, the second key word, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this passage says two things. It says, work out your salvation. That's something we're supposed to do. And then it also goes on to say, for it is God who works in you. So so who's working here? Is it God? Is it us? What is God's responsibility? What is our responsibility? There are two key words that I've highlighted in the the screen there for us, which are really key to understanding this passage. Uh, Think of these two key words as, as two loaves of bread. In, in, a, in a sandwich. And this command, uh, work out your salvation, is, is the filling between these two loaves of bread. The first key verse or the first key uh, loaf of bread uh, in the, the sandwich that I'm trying to help us visualize is the word therefore. This week's passage, one that we're looking at today, immediately follows and is linked to the beautiful passage that we looked at last week, just before this portion of, of, of scripture. And the word therefore kind of flows from that. And let me remind us of the passage we looked at uh, last week. Have this in mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So that's the first loaf of bread. And, and this, therefore, this, this loaf of bread is that in the light of all that Christ has already done for you, in the light of all that Christ has already done for us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So, so that's the sandwich, first loaf of sandwich. That's the that's filling. And now we move to the second keyword or the second uh, loaf in that, in, in that sandwich. And that's the word for. Look at that uh, uh, passage again. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you. And that kind of completes the sandwich. And the second loaf of bread that completes the sandwich is what Christ is doing in you right now. In the present tense. The first loaf is everything that Christ has done for us before. And this is, it is God who, who works in you. That's in the present continuous tense. And so if you really look at the sandwich, let me help us visualize the sandwich. This is what it looks like. The first loaf is what Christ has already done in the past. The second loaf is what, is Christ, what Christ is doing now in your life and mine in the present. So living between what Christ has already done and living here right now and what Christ is doing in the middle of that is what we have to do, which is work out your salvation. In the light of what Christ has already done, in the light of what Christ is doing right now, work out your salvation. And so this working out your salvation simply means our response to what Christ has already done and what Christ is now doing. This is where the beauty of the gospel sets us free. We don't have to strive for spiritual growth. We don't have to manufacture it. We don't have to do it in our strength. I'm all of us are struggling. I'm struggling. These past two, three months, we've all been struggling. Maybe more than two, three months, perhaps. But the beauty is, we never need to forget that we are living, that our life is held together between these two twin graces of what Jesus has already done for us and what he is doing in us right now. It takes away the burden of performing before God. And so the answer to the question, is it God working? Is it us working? It's a very simple answer. Christ has already done everything for us. And Christ is now doing everything for us. He is the one who begun the work and he is the one who is sustaining the work. Our work, therefore, is to faithfully respond to what he has already done and what he is doing. That's our role. 
we just respond to what he has already done. The New Living Translation of, of, of the Bible kind of puts it really beautifully. Let me read this verse in, in, in that uh, translation. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Look at that. Look at the beauty of that. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And so our work, our contribution to our spiritual growth is to merely respond faithfully to all that Christ has done and to all that Christ is doing. All that said, let me ask us another set of questions. How much have we grown as disciples of Christ in the past year? If it is God who's working in us, making us to grow, how much have we grown? How much have we grown in, in reading, meditating, and enjoying praying through God's word every day? How much have we grown in serving one another in church? How much have we grown in mission? How much have we grown in, in, in generosity? So living our lives within that sandwich of grace, are we growing or are we stagnating? And the question we need to ask is, if it is God who is giving us the desire and the power to grow, why are we not growing? Or why are we not growing as much as we know we should be growing? And so, so if, we, if you've not grown, if you feel you've not grown too much the past year or so, I'd like us to engage with, with another very simple question. Same question we are engaging with. If God is giving us the desire and the power to grow, why are we not growing? Why are we not growing? The answer is again a very simple one. If we have a heart that is soft and tender toward God, we will respond faithfully to what Christ has done and to what Christ is doing. But if we have hardened our heart, we are not going to respond faithfully to what Christ has done and to what Christ is doing. So the only way to not respond to what Christ has done and to what Christ is doing is by hardening our hearts. So if we are not responding faithfully to the work of Christ on our behalf, it, it tells us, we have to face it, we have to acknowledge it, that we have hardened our hearts. But why? why? Why would we harden our hearts towards Christ? Why would we do that? We harden our hearts towards Christ only when something else has become more beautiful to our hearts than Jesus. We harden our hearts towards Christ only when something else has become more desirable to our hearts than Jesus. We harden our hearts towards Christ only when something has become more important to us than Christ. When that happens, 
we slowly begin to turn away from Christ and towards whatever this may be that we have set our affections on. And when that happens, in our sinful desire to pursue this, there is no way we can pursue the sinful desire unless we harden a heart towards Christ. And it happens slowly. It happens so gradually. It's so gradual that you and I don't feel the drift at all. Here, I'm not preaching here. I'm speaking from my own experience. You don't feel it. You might, you might be the pastor of a church. You might be preaching weekly. But it's such a slow drift. Let anything else become more beautiful, more important, more significant, more desirable than Christ. Inevitably, slowly, gradually, but inevitably, our hearts will be hardened towards Christ. And, and here's the thing. You know, I, I don't think anything that I'm saying is going to surprise any of you. None of you are going to say, oh my gosh, I never knew it. My career has become more important to me than Christ. No one's ever going to feel that. Because we know it. We know it. Because our hearts are set on these things more than Jesus. None of us are going to say, oh my gosh, my money and my finances and my savings and my comfort has become more important to me than than Christ. No, we, we know it. And we have been steadfastly hardening our hearts towards Christ Jesus. This is true. Please be to God, the story doesn't end here. The sermon does not end here. How does Christ heal us? How does Christ save us from the hardening of our hearts? I want to remind us to the first chapter of Philippians, one of the early sermons of the series, where we we saw in beauty and power that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So we walk in that hope that Jesus is going to set us right. He's going to heal us. How does he heal us? And, And that's the third and the last thing that I want to close with. How do we find joy and hope, not condemnation? How do we find joy and hope in growing as a disciple of Christ Jesus? And to answer this question, let me ask us one more question. Why do you want to grow in your faith in Jesus? Why do you want to grow as a disciple of Jesus? Deep, deep, deep down in your heart, what is your motivation to draw closer to Jesus? What is your motivation for spiritual growth? Deep down, what is your motivation? Why do you want to become a better person? May I suggest that the motivation is quite often grounded in ourselves. I want to be better. How could I have been so bad this past year? I can't continue living like this. I need to change. I can't go on like this. I'm afraid what's going to happen to me if I continue living like this. I'm afraid God's not going to bless me if I don't make any effort to grow. I'm afraid God's not going to bless me 
if I if I never get around someday to enjoying reading the Bible on some consistent basis. You see, all of these motivations are grounded in the self. We fail in our spiritual growth because deep down, we see our spiritual growth as something we do for our own sake. And so this kind of spiritual growth actually becomes just another form of self-worship. I've got to be better than this. And so if our motivation for spiritual growth is in ourselves, we are not going to go very far. And so if this is the wrong motivation, self-worship, self-effort, if that's the wrong motivation for spiritual growth, what is the right motivation for spiritual growth? And the answer lies here in, 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 the, in this very passage that, that we are looking at this morning. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. When we see that our spiritual growth is for God's good pleasure, when that shift happens, and that's the shift from self-worship to worshiping Christ, when, when we see that our spiritual growth is not just about our good and us doing better and us becoming more spiritual and us becoming better disciples of Jesus, when we stop seeing it like that, and when we start seeing that our spiritual growth brings God's pleasure, then everything changes. When that shift happens, we move into a posture where we begin to think, he died for us. So I live for his pleasure. And, 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 and reality is, sadly, that even though God died for us, even though Christ died for us, we live for ourselves. And even our spiritual growth is for ourselves. And, and so this morning, I want, I want to close by really inviting us to experience the shift, the shift in the depth of our motivations. Your spiritual growth is not about you becoming a better person. That's an outcome. We were redeemed by his death. We were redeemed for by the price. God delighted in redeeming us by sending his son Christ Jesus to die for us on the cross. And he finds great joy and delight and, and absolute pleasure when he sees us being sanctified and grow in, in worship and in Christ-likeness. So when we begin to feel in our hearts because Jesus gave his life for us, he died for our eternal pleasure. We want to live here and now for his pleasure. And we begin to see, or we begin to rewire the motivations of spiritual growth. And we begin to see, say, Father, I want to be a better follower of Jesus to bring pleasure to your heart.
that's when we find the power to grow in Christ. Let us pray. Uh, Spirit of God, we, we welcome you, Lord. We, 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 we are desperate for you. Uh, Lord, I, I can preach this and not be changed even myself tomorrow unless your Holy Spirit comes. So we pray, Lord, Spirit of God, will you come and as, this, as your word exhorts us to will and to act, to work and to act, to will and to work for your good pleasure. Help us make this deep, deep, deep shift in the motivations of our hearts. Help us, Lord. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.